Jacksonville Presbyterian. If you're here for the first time, we're going through the Gospel of John, and uh, we are looking at uh, one uh, conversation that Jesus has. Uh, we looked at it last week, which was John 10, verses 1 through 10, and now we're picking up sort of halfway between what Jesus is saying. So we're kind of like getting the second half of a conversation. So if you weren't here last week, I'd love for you to catch up online, maybe on our podcast or website, just to get an idea of everything that Jesus is saying about being our good shepherd. Uh, It's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, So with that in mind, I'd love for you to read along with a print copy of God's Word open in front of you. We're looking at John chapter 10. Remember, we're picking up in the middle of something Jesus was already saying. So uh, we'll look at verses 11 through 21. But remember, this is in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having about how he is the good shepherd and the door of the sheep. And with that in mind, uh, Christian, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is John chapter 10, starting in verse 11 through 21. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Friend, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Why were y'all so much louder on that just now? That's great. I felt like y'all meant that. Hey, uh, take a seat, keep your Bible open, and let's pray. I'm proud of you all. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would see Jesus this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us eyes to see him and ears to hear his voice. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are the great shepherd. You don't drive us, you lead us. Help us to hear your voice and follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I know we've been talking a lot about sheep recently, you know, today and last week and shepherding, and those are full of sort of images uh, of life that you and I don't share a lot. So um, to kind of help you get the right mental picture, I have a, a quick question for you. Do you know who Shrek is? Anyone know who Shrek is? I'm not talking about the Shrek from the movies. I'm talking about the sheep, Shrek the sheep. Um, I've got a picture of Shrek the sheep. You may have heard of him. Uh, that's Shrek. He's pretty cute, right? Um, so that's a sheep. He's from New Zealand. And uh, what you may not know about Shrek right here uh, was Shrek actually hid out in caves for six years. Uh, he, he fled from his shepherds and hid out in caves all over New Zealand. And uh, they looked for him for years and years, and they would see you know, bits of evidence that he was alive, but they could never get him to come back to the fold. Uh, so anyway, he, anyway, that's just, you know, you get rid of that picture, that's enough. We've we got enough of Shrek, right? You know what a sheep looks like. But the reason I, I, I mentioned Shrek is because I need you to have in mind sort of the full gamut 
of all of the imagery that, surra- that surrounds sheep and shepherds and folds and flocks, and all those words mean specific things. Uh, and the reason I mention that to you is as we read John chapter 10, uh, it's easy for us to think that maybe Jesus is like mixing his metaphors a little bit, or maybe he's not being really clear because last week he was the door and now he's the good shepherd. So which is it? Is Jesus a door or is he a shepherd? And what's going on in all of these stories? Uh, So what I want you to realize, though, is the way they would have thought in the ancient Near East and the way they would have pictured reality is a little bit different than the way we would. They would have seen the world around them where there are all kinds of types, images woven into creation that are meant to point us to a higher reality. So when Jesus looks at shepherds and shepherding, he would see thieves who would maybe gum over the, you know, the, the wall and they would you know, slit the throat of sheep and take them out so they could eat them. And Jesus would see a vivid picture of what false teachers do to God's people. And you know, last week we talked about that you know, all the shepherds would hold their sheep into one big fold, you know, there'd be like this big, it's like a garage door bay. Everybody would park their cars in the same garage door bay. Well, everyone would park their sheep in the same big fold. And what Jesus will say is, well, if that's what we see, well, I'm like the shepherd who walks into the fold and I know my own sheep by name and I bring them out. And he says, that's what it's like for someone to come to faith in me. It's like there's all these sheep, but I call my people out by name and they listen to me. And then other times Jesus can look at shepherding and he can say things like, well, good shepherds would take their sheep out over the summer and take them up to the high mountains. And remember, the shepherd would lead, he wouldn't drive the sheep, he would lead them to green pastures. And the shepherd would lead them beside still waters and make sure that his sheep were provided for. But over the summer, they wouldn't be able to take them all the way back to the garage door bays, back to town. What instead the shepherd would do is he would make a temporary fold. And then what was the door over the summer Anybody remember from last week? The shepherd would just be the door, right? So it's not that Jesus is mixing metaphors. What Jesus is doing is he's taking life, the real day-to-day oxygen-filled world, and he's saying it all points to a loving and good God who is about redeeming his creation. And he finds all kind of images and types that point to this. And so what we see right there in verse 11 is Jesus adds another layer to the beauty of what he's saying. And he says, like, I'm not just a door. I'm not just uh, protecting you from the hirelings. I haven't just come to give you the abundant life. I'm also the good shepherd. You see it right there in verse 11? And any time you see those words, I am, in John, you need to have something very specific occurring in your brain, right? Which is what? It is, he's declaring himself to be God. Because any time somebody would say, I am that I am, they would remember what? Exodus 3, where God tells Moses in the bush, I am that I am. That is my name. Tell them I am has sent you. And so when Jesus says things like, before Abraham was, I am. And when he comes along and he says, I am the good shepherd, it should not be lost on us that Psalm 23 tells us who's the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So when Jesus stands up and declares that I am the good shepherd, he's letting us know he's not just a human. He is human, but he's also fully God come to save us all. And what is it that this good shepherd has come to do? 
Well, look at the second half of verse 11. If you ever, friends, if you ever needed a memory verse, which you do, <laughs> if you ever need, you know, you know how you know Jesus' voice in your head? Because it's Scripture talking to you. You know, you know how God communicates to you? The Holy Spirit calls to mind the words that he has already spoken. That's John 15. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're only in John 10. If you look at uh, verse 11, if you ever needed a memory verse, this is the verse to remember. It is so incredible. It is, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, there's a lot of things in that sentence we've already talked about. I am, Jesus is Lord. He's not just a man, but he's also good. And that word good there doesn't mean like good enough. <laughs> what it means is he is the ideal, the exemplar, the, the shepherd we have always yearned for. And what does he do? What does the great shepherd do? Well, Jesus tells us what the shepherd does in the second sentence. Jesus proves himself to you because he laid down his life for you. Now, um, it's funny, when I, when I talk to Christians about, you know, evangelism, they're like, oh, another burden. Oh, so weird. I've got to sell Jesus. Like I sold vacuum cleaners back in the day. I don't want to sell anybody anything. Do I have to evangelize? Well, evangelism is part of what it means to be a Christian. You and I are called to be the light on a hill that shines forth. We're not supposed to put a basket over the light. Jesus uses a lot of metaphors, right? Uh, it's not the end-all, be-all of our Christianity, but you and I are called to be the light of Christ to the people around it. You know, the other day um, in Medford, I drove past a church, and it, it has that, um, <laughs> I was going to say stupid saying, but I'll try to be more respectful than it. It has that, it has that, that misunderstood saying where it says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah, they falsely attribute it to St. Francis. St. Saint, Saint Francis ain't never said that. Um, to me, that's like, I get what you're saying. Live out the faith. I totally agree that your, your walk should match your talk. But the problem with saying, you know, <laughs> share the gospel, use words if necessary, that's like saying, feed the poor, use food if necessary. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty much part of what you're doing. Yeah, there's more to help the poor than giving them food, but there's probably not less, right? Right? You get the, you get the point? People come to faith. By, Paul says people come to faith because they hear the word of faith. How will they hear if no one tells them? <laughs> Jesus has come to declare, not that I or any religious leader or any religious system is the Savior. Jesus boldly declares, I am the good shepherd. I have come to lay down my life for my people, and my people will hear my voice as I call them to myself. I mean, this is how Jesus sees himself. Uh, th that is the message that every one of us needs to hear, the message of the gospel of grace. Uh, but when we think about sharing the gospel, I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I can feel your uncomfortableness right now. <laughs> I can just feel it. Uh, a lot of times, though, I feel like when we, we talk about telling people about Jesus, you know, um, or I read evangelism books, they strike me more like modern marketing manuals that I read in business school than they strike me like I'm reading the Bible. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times people say the gospel is that God loves you. You know, God loves you. Um, and that's very true. God does love you. But if that's what you think sharing the gospel is, uh, there's, a, there's a lot missing. Uh, first off, the Bible never says just blanketly God loves you. 
the Bible says something so much more profoundly beautiful and life-changing than simply that God loves you. And the reason is because God loves you does not define who God is. If I said God loves you to the average person in America, they'd be like, sure. But do they know Jesus is God? Do they know the I am? And if I say God loves you, they may say, great, I'm going to keep being a knucklehead, right? Is that what it is? It's just a free pass to live? See, the gospel is radically more beautiful. And it goes like this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who's God? He's not the God of all religions. He's not the, the God of, you know, our modern, postmodern making. He's the good shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd who doesn't drive you. He's a shepherd who leads you out front, who calls you by name, who loves you and knows his own. That's who God is. He's the good shepherd. Amen. Amen. There we go. I have one non-Presbyterian in the room. I'm so thankful. <laughs> Which is ironic because he's an elder, right? That's who God is. He's the good shepherd. You see how, how much more visceral of an image that is to tell somebody? It's amazing what happens when you evangelize using the Bible. You're getting my sense of humor now. This is great. You tell somebody he's the good shepherd. And then what does it mean that God loves you? You know what it means, friends? It means that Jesus Christ laid down his life in front of his mother. And he died to take the punishment that all of our sins deserved. That all of humanity, we are in rebellion against a good and loving creator. Uh, we have rejected him, not just relationally, but in our day-to-day -day life. And the way that God has responded to our rejection is he says, instead of the rod of punishment falling on my people, let the rod of punishment fall on me. And I will take the blow. I will do the painful work of actually forgiving you. And in that great act of forgiveness, of taking the punishment that you deserve, that profound act of love is so powerful, it'll change you completely forever from the inside out so that you follow me, not under compulsion. You follow me because you know the voice of the shepherd who loves you. You follow him because you love him. And you love him not because we first loved him, but because he loved us. Until you get that, you don't get the gospel. We love because he first loved us. And we know his love because he laid down his life for you. Who are we? We're sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for whom? The sheep. Now, I'm not saying you're a sheeple and, you know, I'm not trying to get you into a cult or anything weird. Don't push the sheep imagery too far. Don't have trust issues quite yet. All I'm saying is you and I, we are, we're like Shrek, right? Not the green one, the white one, right? We're like Shrek. We're lost in caves for years and years. And there is the voice of the good shepherd saying, come home, come home. That's the gospel. That may actually change somebody's life. You know, that's the power of the gospel at work, seeing who God is, seeing from what we need to be saved, and seeing who we really are. So let's keep going. So that's the first verse right there. That's the first thing I want you to see about the good shepherd. The second thing in verse 12 and 13, Jesus kind of goes and he uses a, a hired hand, you know, a hireling, a, 
you know, this kind of, uh, you know, guy who is helping the shepherd, and he's just using him as a foil. He's saying, well, I'm the exemplar, the perfect shepherd you've always wanted, and everybody else who's ever tried to lead you, they fail you in some big ways, right? He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. And this hired man flees because he's a hired man, and he doesn't care about the sheep. All Jesus is saying is he's saying, you can trust me. Everybody else can let you down, and I know it. And if you have trust issues, I understand. You have known hired hands. You have known people who want to use you and mistreat you. But I'm not like that. I am the good shepherd. And Christian, what you need to realize in that is there is no intermediary between you and God. Jesus is the intermediary. You, I, I, I am an under-shepherd, I'm a pastor, only in the sense that I'm telling you to follow the voice of Jesus. And to the extent that I tell you to follow Jesus, you better listen to me. But if I don't tell you to follow Jesus, you better not listen to me. I'm an under-shepherd. Your intermediary is the Lord Jesus. You know, your priest is Jesus, the high priest. I mean, the intimacy between you and your Father is so profound. Don't miss out on it. All right, so all that to say, you know, that's all he's saying in verses 12 and 13, right? Um, We have no one like Jesus. Jesus has come to have an intimate relationship with you. Uh, He knows you by name. And it gets even more profound because I want you to see the Trinity in our passage. It's pretty pretty shocking uh, how we see Jesus in the Trinity right here in our passage. So look at uh, verses 14 right there and following. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, right? Again, he, re- he repeats that because that's his big point. He wants you to know who he is, and he wants you to trust him. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And look at verse 15. This is so key. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, friends, if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, if you bow the knee to him, what Jesus is telling you, if you, come, if you hear his voice and join his flock in faith, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I love you and know you so much that Jesus can't even think of an earthly analogy to compare it to. He doesn't say, I know my sheep and love my sheep just like a mother loves the child that she nurses. And he doesn't say just like the father with their favorite child you know, their daughter, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say any, he doesn't, Jesus cannot think of a earthly analogy that is powerful enough to explain to you how committed he is to his people and how much he knows and loves you. The only, he doesn't look to the earth to find an analogy. What Jesus says, he says, I love you and know you so intimately that the only analogy I can give is the love that the Son has for the Father and the love that the Father has for the Son. Just as the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father, so I know you. I mean, think about what Jesus is saying is the love that the Trinity experiences, where the Father loves the Son for all of eternity and the Son loves and honors the Father and the Holy Spirit loves and honors the Father and the Son. That outworking of eternal community and love and joy, the Trinity, the God of all grace and joy and fellowship. 
He has brought you into that life. And he says, I can no longer cast my people aside than the Father could cast the Son aside. You are intimately linked. Jesus is going to say in a few verses, you are in my Father's hand and you are in my hand. I mean, Christian, do you realize the love that God has for you? I know that's hard to believe, and I, didn't, I did not say y'all, because that's an important point. I'm not saying, do you know that God loves his people? Christian, do you know, excuse me, sheep, sheep, individual sheep, do you know that the good shepherd loves you? And he says, you are my own, and I call you by name. I do not drive you, I lead you. Whatever you're facing, it's going to melt like the snow in the summer because I have laid down my life for you and no enemy can stand. I have defeated all of your enemies, even death itself I have conquered for you. Christian, do you know the good shepherd? Do you know that he loves you, that he laid down his life for you? It's an outworking of a God who loves. I mean, this, I know the Trinity is a, a funny thing to think about, or it may strike you as funny. Uh, but friends, this is what it means to know God, is to study who he is, to understand, to grasp the heights of who he is. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I, I talk to people, and I think they're under the impression that God created us because he was lonely, you know? You know who always comes up with that idea? Lonely people! That's called projection, right? Well, I'm lonely, so maybe... God in his loneliness made, God did not create us because he was lonely. It was the Father eternally enjoying and loving the Son. And the Son for all ages past, loving and enjoying the Father. And the Holy Spirit loving and enjoying the Father and the Son. It was the outworking of that communal love of the one God in three persons. And out of the overflow of that love, creation sprung. I mean, th- I mean, this is how all of us would want to be created, right? We know like in a dream world, this may not be true for you, but in a dream world, that's how you and I would want to be created, right? We would want to know that a loving husband loved his wife so much that out of that union comes more life, right? That would be ideal. That's the dream we hope for everybody. Out of love comes life. That's what creation, that's what you and I are. We are the overflow of God's love and he has set his affection on us. And even though we rebelled, he has set about his plan to redeem us, to call us by name and bring us back to himself. God can no longer cast you aside than he can cast himself aside. I mean, Christian, do you, (laughs) this is how Paul can say those things like you can't grasp the height or the depth or the width or the breadth of the love of God in Christ for you for you. I mean, friends, this is the gospel of the good shepherd. It's so profound. Uh, Let's look at how he calls certain, this next thing Jesus goes to is who are his people? Who are the kind of people that respond to this? Let's look at the sheep's uh, flock, the shepherd's flock. Look at verse 16, Jesus goes on, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be what? One flock one shepherd. And that is such a beautiful depiction of the shepherd's flock. And you got to kind of remember what's going on in all this imagery about sheep and shepherds. Remember I mentioned that at the beginning? It's kind of hard to keep all the things in track because Jesus is using almost everything as an analogy or a type to point to something. And remember that 
everybody would put all their sheep in one big fold normally. But then shepherds would have individual flocks within the big fold, right? So the good shepherd can come in and call out his flock from among a bunch of sheep. What Jesus is saying right there in verse 16 is he's looking at a fold, a bunch of sheep, and he says, I'm going to bring more sheep in that you don't even know about. And I'm going to have one flock. And what's going to unite them is not that they're all going to look the same. What's going to unite this new humanity, this new group of people, is they're going to be people who bow the knee to King Jesus, the one shepherd. You see, what Jesus is getting at is he's talking about uh, the Jewish people and the coming Gentile believers. Remember, Jesus is fully Jewish ethnically. He followed the Hebrew scriptures perfectly. He calls 12 disciples who are all Jewish. And in our passage, he's talking to Jewish people, calling them to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. I mean, right there, verse 19, remember, this is a conversation among the Jewish people about who their Messiah is. And Jesus is saying, out of the big fold of all of the nation of Israel, he is calling individual sheep by name to be part of a new flock that bows the knee to King Jesus. And what he's saying now is he says, I have other sheep. I have Gentiles, you know, people like me, uncircumcised heathens, right, who smell like pork when they go to church, right? And he says, I'm going to call people now from every nation, language, and tongue and call them to me. And so there will one day be one flock. And what's going to unite them is not that Jewish people are going to become ethnically Gentile, and it's not that ethnically Gentiles are going to become Jewish. What's going to unite these people is what? They bow the knee to King Jesus. I mean, this is all over the New Testament. I mean, the book of Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians is about this very issue. Because what happens is as people start to believe in Jesus, they're Jewish believers, and then there's Gentile believers, and they talk differently, and they smell differently, and they have different rules. And if you think there's weirdos in this church, buddy, you should have been in Ephesus. Everybody thought each other was weird. And what Paul says is he says, Jesus on the cross tore down the wall of hostility between two people and in the place of two people has created one new humanity. See, this is what Jesus' mission has always been. As Paul will say, the gospel goes to the Jew first and then what? Then to the Greek or the Gentile. See, this is Jesus' hope. He's creating one flock from every nation, language, and tongue, who will worship Jesus, who hear the voice of the shepherd. And he goes on, look at verse 17. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father and what, what you should know about that is what Jesus is saying is he's foreshadowing his death. He's talking about how he's going to die on a cross, right? He's been talking about laying his life down for his sheep. And what he wants his disciples and us to know is that this is not going to come as a surprise to Jesus. Jesus' plan has always been that he is going to lay down his life for us. Um, Jesus knows Isaiah 53, which in the Old Testament says that the Messiah will come and he will be pierced for our transgressions. And he will be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him will be the punishment that brings us peace. And you know what Isaiah says next? He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus knew Isaiah 53. He knew the Father's plan, that he would lay down his life. It doesn't come as a surprise. And what's really great about this, if you, if you study John, and you know, a few months we'll get to John 18, where Jesus has this conversation with Pilate. Remember Pontius Pilate? And Pontius Pilate, you know, he's kind of pompous. And he says, you know, I have authority. I have authority to let you live or die. And Jesus says, do you now? He says, do you have the authority? All the authority you have was given to you. Jesus says, I have the authority to go to the cross. And I have authority to take my life back. Because he's not just a human, he's the Lord himself come to save us all. Last thing I want you to see about the good shepherd, right there, verses 19 through 20. Last thing you can see about the good shepherd is, um, and this really, you know, this is hard for me because this is not my personality. You know, I, I want to be like, I, wanna, I just want everybody to get along. Anyone else like that? You just want everybody to get along? Anybody feel that? Like when you turn on the news, it's an election year. It's very stressful. You know, I'm going to get a blood pressure machine, you know, just to calm myself down. You know, I just want everybody to get along, right? I don't want, I don't want there to be any division, you know. But that, you know, um, as the Puritans used to say, you know, um, not all unity is from God, and not all division is from hell. I mean, Jesus is speaking, and there is a division made. We would say there is a line in the sand. And what's the division? Well, we'll look at verse 19. There was again a what? A division among the Jews because of these words. Some people say, Jesus is so, who do you think you are? You are insane. You are insane. There's no way you are who you claim to be. And then, of course, there are believers who say, how could, how could he not be the Messiah? I mean, he opened the eyes of the blind. He, he comes back from the dead. You know anybody who can do that? How is he not the Messiah? You see, what Jesus is doing, even though it may make people in America uncomfortable today, is he is drawing a line in the sand. And he's saying, there are sheep that listen to me, and there are sheep who will not follow me to their own destruction. Jesus has come to save them from destruction by being destroyed on their behalf, but if they reject him, uh, the trajectory of their life for eternity will be of rejection, and they will be away from him in hell for eternity. But, but, for those who hear the voice of the shepherd, they will know from what they have been saved. And they will know that Jesus can never cast us out any more than he can cast himself out. You've been brought into the life of the Trinity. You will be with the Lord forever. Well, I don't know where you stand, but, um, you know, when I, when I think about how we stray and we get lost, you know, I think, I think back to Shrek, you know, our sheep buddy, and how he hid away for like six years. And I think it's because he didn't trust the shepherd, right? He didn't know that the shepherd just wanted to help him. And uh, anyone know what Shrek looked like when they found him after six years? It made the national news in New Zealand. I mean, that's how boring life is in New Zealand. <laughs> I know we all think it's great because of Lord of the Rings. It's so boring. They, they, you know, they sheared a sheep and it made national news. I mean, think about that. That's, and people complain about Southern Oregon. I mean, come on. I've never watched that on the news on, at night. But um, this is a picture of what he looked like after they found him for being lost for six years. 
Yeah, that's, that's Shrek. He ran away from the shepherds for six years. They finally found him. Uh, there was enough wool, apparently, that they made 20 large men's suits out of all the extra wool. Uh, anybody want to guess how much his wool weighed? How much, was, how many, how much what do you think that weighed? 60 pounds. 60 pounds. And um, I'm a preacher. That's, that just preaches itself, right? And the reason I show you that is because I think that's such a vivid illustration of what it's like not to know the good shepherd. You know, we are alone. We are harassed. I mean, I don't know how he survived, literally. I don't know how he's not dead. And I don't know how he's not in despair. And he is weighed down. He is weighed down. And when the shepherd finally gets him, he takes all the weight off of him. He says, I want you to thrive. I want you to be a sheep that can go in and out and find pasture. Uh, Jesus will say it this way, I am the good shepherd. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have freedom. Friends, do you know the good shepherd? That's the invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to lay down his life for us. And Lord, we thank you that you are our shepherd and that you don't drive us, you lead us. Uh, Father, for those of us with trust issues surrounding you, Father, would we hear your voice and your voice only, the voice of our good shepherd calling us home. Amen.